The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Welcome to Beside Still Waters. Our conversation today is going to be concerning the seed and that which fell on good ground. The seed and that which fell on good ground. Uh, The references, uh, the gospel writers were, of course, Luke in chapter 8 and verses 8 and 15, and Mark chapter 4, verses 8 and 20, and Matthew chapter 13, verses 8 and 23. And what we're looking at is the varied perspectives and truths learned about the workings of the Word of God and the resulting transformation of a person's life and character. The workings of the work, the Word of God, and the resulting transformation of a person's life and character. Luke 8 and 8 said that other seed fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit one hundredfold. Mark adds a bit of a variation when he says other seed fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some thirty, some sixty, some a hundredfold. And Matthew had just again a slight variation of the same thought. Other fell on good ground and brought forth some 100, some 60, and of course, some 30-fold. So what we're seeing, uh, and, and I want you to keep this in mind, that the Spirit of God is taking the very teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by virtue of the fact that he is the Son of God, it is a multifaceted uh, thought and teaching, a body of truths, uh, Uh, For example, uh, in a previous podcast, we were considering the Lord Jesus being led of the Spirit, driven by the Spirit, and so forth, into the wilderness. And it took three gospel writers to accurately convey the full scope of what was being um, communicated. And here we have a similar circumstance in which uh, three of the gospel writers are trying to capsulate the uh, workings of the Word of God when it falls on uh, the rich soil of a human heart that's willing to embrace these truths. And, you know, one is saying, well, the seed sprang up, and another one is saying, well, the seed uh, yielded, and then another one, well, the seed brought forth. And uh, what we're going to see in our conversation was that these distinctives are important, but it's also going to reveal to us Uh, some truths concerning the Christian life and growth and fruitfulness. The Christian life 
growth in our Lord Jesus Christ and his grace, and fruitfulness. Now, you know, I try not to spend a lot of time going into what the original languages um, uh, state and so forth and, and, you know, getting into the Greek translation and, and all of that wonderful stuff because I think sometimes it can distract from what we're really trying to grasp for ourselves and how we would want to grow uh, in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm really going to focus our conversation on the salient points. Uh, firstly, of course, uh, the good ground, which really represents hearts that are ready, perfectly prepared. Good ground is such that much can be done with it. Okay, uh, this is a uh, if you will, a personal assessment of one's heart in relation to its receptivity to the Word of God. The assessment of the condition of a person's heart in relation to its receptivity to the Word of God. Now, uh, all three writers used the same term, good ground, but they all the Spirit of God in his wisdom used a different word to convey a different characteristic about the hearts of those who have embraced the truths and the teachings of the Word of God and the corresponding effect and growth, the, the germination process, the transformation process, if you will, the regeneration process, the being born again, being birthed anew. Luke, for example, in, in Luke 8.8, 8, calls it pleasant and arable ground, pleasant ground. Mark refers to it as beautiful, excellent soil. Matthew consider it, considers it to be soil that's tillable, plowable. Okay, but they all use the same term to convey a thought about the human heart that receives the Word of God. And, and those of you who are under the sound of my voice, if you consider yourselves to be a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and his uh, 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 crucifixion work, his cross work, the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the faith in that event, the scope of that event, which causes a man to once believed pass from death to life. Well, the heart that receives this message and embraces it, and it takes root in that person's life, they have a heart that's pleasant, good ground, beautiful ground, excellent. Its, its conditions are excellent, ripe for the Word of God to take uh, uh, root. Okay, It's plowable. There's not a lot of uh, encumbrance in that ground. So the Gospel writers, all three of them, are looking at the perfect heart conditions. And you can look at that and ask yourself, because you know yourself, well, what am I? And we'll see the, the, uh, the, the teachings, the learnings that we can extract from this to apply to our lives are really extraordinary because we begin to see ourselves. And what's interesting, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but uh, all three writers indicate, well, one, Luke indicates that it brought forth a hundredfold. And, and, and uh, um, 
Mark, I believe, says uh, some brought forth 30, some 60, some 100. And, and uh, Matthew reverses uh, the order and says some 100, some 60, some 30. But guess what? There are Christians out there that don't all bear fruit the same way. What is important is that as the Spirit of God works in our lives, that we do bear fruit. But we don't always bear fruit to the same capacity. So it doesn't make sense to look at somebody else's life, someone else's life, and say, well, I don't know why I'm not as fruitful as they are. We are called to walk with God through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is, in and of itself, the most important thing. We are abiding in our Lord Jesus Christ. We are uh, taking the time, if you will, to to walk with God, to walk with God. And what is important at the outset is, how is my heart? How is the condition of my heart? Is it ripe and right for the Word of God to have its effect? Now let's go on. Let's look at some distinctives in, in terms of the seed and, and what happened when it fell on the, uh, on the various types of heart. Now we have in Luke 8, it says that the, the seed fell on what is considered pleasant or arable ground, good ground. So it sprang up, it shot forth a little sprig out of the seed. And what Luke does is that he looks at the evident proof that the soil and the seed embraced. The soil and the seed embraced, if I can put it that way. This is indicative and evident proof of Christian growth, that there's a little sprig that pops out of the seed, but this sprig pops out because there's a little root that pushes down and it's drawing up nutrients and it's pushing that sprig towards the sunlight. So it's a complete process. But what's important as concerning Christian growth is that it further evidences the work of grace, the work of the grace of God in the human heart. And what we see, that is, we the onlookers, we see blossoms. We begin to see changes in this young believer's character. Blossoms. Something is beginning to happen in the person's life and character that evidences there is beginning to be a change. Now in Mark chapter 4 and verse 8, the seed fell on beautiful or excellent soil. And it also produced evidence of spiritual growth. But what's key here? In Mark's gospel, and and, and actually the the gospel of Mark goes into much greater detail than does Luke and uh, Matthew. Because uh, in the original languages, the the, the thought is that uh, fruit was produced primarily for the benefit of another. There's a good There's fruitage, there's evidence of change, of character, and of life. But this change was not for the individual experiencing the change. The change was for the benefit of those who would be served by that change. Others would have to be the beneficiaries of this growth in the grace of God 
and transformation into the likeness of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a key objective of the Christian life. It must serve good, blessing, refreshing to others. I want to repeat this because this is an important characteristic of the Christian life, the, the, the sincere Christian has to have as their objective the good, the blessing, the refreshing of others. It is not a what's in it for me perspective, what's in it for me thought or drive, but it possesses characteristics that clearly display its objective is for the purpose of blessing others, unlike the stony ground and the thorny ground. Those with that, the ground that was encumbered by stones was, uh, if you will, uh, there was an overabundance of one thought, that of self-preservation. In the thorny ground, there was a preponderance of cares and, and a pursuit of riches and pleasures to the extent that the Word of God was suffocated. The objective was, what's in it for me? Whether to preserve myself from the onslaught of persecution or trial that came about as a result of my faith in Christ, or what's in it for me in terms of wealth or health or pleasure. And so many have turned the Christian life as an objective to be healthy, to be wealthy, and to enjoy all the good things of life. And don't, please don't get me wrong. God has given us freely all things to enjoy. But if the objective, the purpose of the Christian's life is to pursue these things, it will be at the expense of spiritual growth. But for the healthy Christian with a heart that embraces the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ and of the apostles, the word of God in its totality, the purpose at the end of the day is giving to others for their benefit, their good, their blessing, their refreshing. So let me, let me encapsulate it this way. According to Paul's uh, letter to the church at Ephesus, the purpose of the Christian life, if you will, the, the key objective as uh, exemplified by our Lord Jesus Christ was stated as such. He says, you be Therefore, imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love even as the Christ loved us and delivered himself up for us, an offering, and here it is, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. His purpose, the objective of his life, the living, the living the day-to-day -day walk with God as the Son of God 
was to live an aromatic life before the Father. And when doing that, it is exemplified in beneficial works that are spirit-led, spirit-generated for the benefit of others. Bottom line, if people are not benefiting by your Christian life, chances are you are not walking in the spirit. It's not really rocket science. But just to stay on point in our conversation, the seed fell on beautiful or excellent soil and it began an upward and outward growth, which essentially mirrored uh, a growth pattern similar to the thorns. But its beginning was not as rapid. And like thorn bushes, I should say, if you, if you were living in a climate in which thorn bushes prevailed, what you will find is that most of them have fairly lovely flowers. Uh, there were three types uh, that, that uh, sort of adorned our yard uh, when I grew up as a boy. Uh, one particular thorn bush that I mentioned before called a crown of thorns. It probably grew no higher than you know, just below the knee, but it had a lovely crimson flower. And uh, I think they're called bougainvilleas, if, if memory serves me correctly, also bearing a lovely flower. And there are other thorn bushes that have that attractive uh, quality about them. And that is early in their growth. And, and, and so when the, the gospel writers are, are uh, alluding to the thorns that grew you know, the cares, riches, and pleasures of this life. These are things that are attractive. And the Christian life at the beginning of its growth typically doesn't appear attractive. And we'll learn a little more about that. The beauty comes later, but it's not like the thorns. It can grow. Uh, it can have a prolific growth pattern like the thorns, but it doesn't seem as attractive. And therefore, people typically are not attracted to the Christian life for obvious reasons. And you know, when, when Satan tempted our Lord Jesus Christ with the glory of the kingdoms, the gospel writers, especially Luke, I believe, really pointed out the fact that in talking about the seed, a lot of these hearers went away, they went their way and were suffocated with the cares and riches and pleasures of this life, of this world. And Satan sought to tempt our Lord Jesus with those very things, the glory of them, the allure of them. And very often in the Christian life, this becomes, if you will, a stumbling block to growth in Christ. The beauty of the Christian life is not often found in the early stages, but really at the fruit-bearing stages, and it may vary from person to person. But when fruit begins to manifest itself, the love and joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, and so forth, when they become clear evidence of character transformation, regeneration, being birthed again, this is when the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ is beginning to be seen. The beauty of the Christian is Christ in you. The beauty 
of the Christian is Christ in you. And so this, this little plant begins to grow and it begins to increase in its height and its girth as did the thorns. The difference being it is not initially attractive like the thorns. The pleasures, the sensual pleasures, the hedonistic pleasures, the riches, the quest for more money and more and more is attractive initially. And so this growth only comes This growth in Christ only comes if the heart is prepared to receive the life of the plant, the governance and filling of the Spirit of God. And to this, there is no limit to the stage of life's fruitfulness for the Christian. There's no limit. There is no limit. We'll see shortly. This growth is not a pursuit of wealth or health or pleasure as with a heart filled with thorns. It is inwardly generated and character transforming. You know, it, back in uh, Acts chapter 6, we are told, of course, you know, at the time when, when the believers were really multiplying, that the word of God grew Okay, in 2 Corinthians, I think, 10 and 15, those that didn't enter the land, the promised land, Canaan, okay, they failed to enter, or it might have been in Hebrews 4, I don't recall, but they failed to enter because the word didn't profit them, and it didn't profit them because it wasn't mixed with faith. But here we have good ground, good ground. Ground, heart conditions that are ripe and ready to receive the promises of God as they are presented. So this fourth key is so important that the Christian life can be an extraordinary growth experience in the grace of God, which of itself is without limit. It is Christ in you from infancy To a mature man in Christ, it is Christ in you. Paul can write to the church at Galatia. I have been and still am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. Christ lives in me. And the the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Peter alludes to, the, to God's grace in, in 2 Peter 3 and 18 when he says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, to him be glory now and to the day of eternity. But grow in grace. Grow in grace. Begin to lean upon the willingness of God to be operative in your life through the presence of the Spirit of God and his enabling. The Christian life is an impossible life, but it is a possible life. And, and I think also in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul, writing to the church at Thessalonica, says that, you know, we ought to always thank God. We thank God always for you, brethren, even as it is fitting, because your faith, and, and get this, your faith increases exceedingly. And the love of each of you, or the love of each one of you, 
towards one another abounds. So get that. Their faith is increasing exponentially. And with that increased faith and the working of the Spirit, their goodwill, their brotherly love towards one another, their even agape love is also growing. You know, it's, 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 it's a caricature of the Christian life when a, when a believer, a devotee, a disciple, is prickly in their character, in their nature, harsh with their tongue, rough with their manner. And some will even conclude, well, that's just the way I am. No, my friends. That is a clear evidence of the fact that the Spirit of God doesn't have you. Even in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul can write to the church at Ephesus, exhorting them, holding the truth in love, we may grow up to him, to him who? The Lord Jesus Christ in all things. Peter reiterates as newborn babes in in chapter 2 of his first letter, as newborn babes desire earnestly the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow up to salvation. You may grow in your faith and exhibition, if you will, of the presence of the Spirit of God. So we could go on with that, but I, I want to continue in our conversation because in, in, in Matthew 13, uh, Matthew views the seed as having fallen on a tract of land that's tillable, plowable. You could do something with that earth. And Matthew focuses on that part where the fruit is given to another for their good and benefit. Okay? As does Luke. Okay? The purpose of fruit bearing is not for me to say, look, I'm bearing fruit. No. Someone has to benefit. Someone has to be the beneficiary of the infilling and filling up of the Spirit of God in your life. If no one's benefiting, uh, uh, then I have news for you, my friend. It's not necessarily just a charismatic exhibition of the presence of God. It has to be a practical benefit provided to those around you in your social circle. They should taste of your love and your joy and the peace that your life brings, your goodness, your selflessness. They should benefit from this. Now let's shift gears a little, just a wee bit. At the start, let's look at the start of the Christian life. Okay, for example, Luke says in in verse 15 of chapter 8, that they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit. So what's key in this scenario is what they do with what they've heard. What they do with what they've heard. Okay, and regarding the counsels of God. So at the conclusion of their hearing, the word of God is taught, preached, whatever, And the question becomes, what am I going to do with this? So the receiver's disposition to what is heard is of great import. Like that of a person who receives a gift for Christmas, for example. Okay, someone gives you a gift for Christmas, you can say, all right, thanks. And then you put it at the side and you go about your business. But if you look at their expressions and and, and their desire towards you and the goodwill they're bringing, they they long to give you something that would bless your life and you receive that gift in the same way. There's an inner disposition to receive it. There's there's a, uh, how can I say, the, the, uh, the, uh, the spirit within witnesses with their spirit that you are receiving what they are offering. And it is so with the word of God. There's a willingness to embrace 
what God through the Spirit or the teacher is providing to you, and it witnesses with your spirit that this is good for you. And when it takes root in your life and begins to, to manifest that you are profiting in the grace of God, others begin to benefit. So Luke is the only writer who points out that the inward disposition is that of embracing the message of the word, embracing it. The hearer understands and there's an intent to follow through. Both Mark and Matthew reiterates the same. There's an intent to follow through, but, but Luke is focusing on that inner spirit, that disposition to embrace it. Okay, embrace it. Luke also states that the hearer keeps it. There's a retention, okay? And this retention is really a preventative of the devil removing what has been placed there. If you recall in the wayside hearts, you know, the birds of the air swooped down and took up the precious seed. And, and the, the exposition of it by our Lord Jesus was that the devil comes and in the original language, by force, removes the seed so that that person will never experience regeneration. But the initial start of regeneration, of being born again, being birthed anew, is that the hearer embraces, keeps it, preserves it in their hearts. It's like an act of holding it fast so as to take possession of it. And Paul uses uh, the same idea in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 21. We don't, we don't have time to really go back to it. But, but, you know, the word of God is received that way. The person is birthed anew, born again, experiencing re regeneration. But that same attitude takes them throughout their Christian life of being willing to receive the word of God. And my friends, you know, when we talk about walking beside still waters... It's really a time of quiet before God. To do what? To hear the voice of God, to let the Spirit of God speak through the Word of God and your heart being ready to embrace it, follow through, keep it, live it, and live it. And so in Mark chapter 4, Mark goes just a tad further. Mark essentially uh, focuses on the thought of how they receive it. How they receive it. Like there's a sense of ownership without any intention of rejecting what has been presented to them. But rather, there's a, a sense of delight in receiving it. Okay? Um, uh, for example, in uh, I think it was Hebrews chapter 12, uh, when the writer uh, to the Hebrew believers wrote, uh, whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. That son who comes into the family of God by adoption, God is delighted with it, delighted with that child. He rejoices, heaven rejoices over one sinner that repents, for example, the scripture tells us. But it's like receiving a child. One is delighted to bring this child into the family. And what Mark is focusing on is that spirit of not only receptivity, but delight in receiving it. Well, guess what? This is what that person of good ground heart does at the beginning of the Christian life. They are delighted to receive truth and be birthed anew. But I really want to I, I end our conversation 
with the fruit bearing stage. I love this. I love, you know, this is where the, the Christian life takes on a beauty of its own. You know, the thorns had pretty flowers. It's attractive in the beginning, but guess what? The cares and riches and pleasures of this life, the, the quest to satisfy our senses, suffocates the spiritual life. It's a delicate plant. It's delicate, my friends. We have to be careful to nurture a walk with God. Nurture it prayerfully, sensitively, giving time to be alone with God. Our Lord Jesus alludes to it as going into the closet, shutting the door behind you, and your heavenly Father who sees in secret, he says, shall render it to you. In other words, he shall render it to you openly. <laughs> so what was discussed with God in secret <laughs> has been answered by God in public. And so Luke in chapter 8 states that the hearer keeps and brings forth fruit. In fact, Luke says a hundredfold. He just gives one level of fruit bearing, a hundredfold. So in this fruit bearing stage, we might get a view of maybe three types of Christians. And I say types because I don't know how else to put it. Okay. But at this stage, the completion of the regenerative process is made clear when Luke uses the word and. He said, the hearer keeps and brings forth fruit. That is the full scope of the Christian life. They receive it. They keep it. It takes root. It begins to grow. It be they begin to flourish. You begin to see, you know, little buds. There are evidences that this person is truly born anew. And they're living out the Christian life. But over time, fruit begins to come. And it really comes in a prolific fashion. And so the hearer has a heart that's that just suitable. It has suitable conditions for holding fast truth so as to possess it and to live it. And Luke expands on the manner in which the fruit is brought forth. <laughs> he says, the receiver steadfastly produces evidence of regeneration. Steadfastly, cheerfully. Okay, this is what I call the happy Christian. <laughs> they're just, they're glad to be a disciple. Glad to be a devotee of our Lord Jesus Christ. Glad, happy to walk with God. The evidence of trials does not deter them. The hope of life eternal and what is to come cheers their hearts. They know they're walking in the light. They're walking with God. They're walking as our Lord Jesus walked on this earth. And they are glad to do it. The happy, fruitful Christian. This Christian is made to bear fruit. And this is an important point. Because sometimes we think that we're the ones that are going to, we're going to try to be loving. <laughs> we're going to try to be joyful. We're going to try to be peaceful. No, my friends. The greater the degree that the Spirit of God has you, it is to that degree that he manifests his presence in your life by love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, and so forth. He manifests his Presence. This is the life of the Lord Jesus being pushed out through your lips, your fingers, your feet, your attitudes. He's made to be fruitful. We can't manufacture that. It is the result of abiding in one person, being attached 
to the Lord Jesus Christ, the source plant. That's what the Lord Jesus was teaching in, in John 15. He said, you'll bear much fruit if you abide in me. Your fruit shall remain. And in that, he doesn't indicate what the fruit is. But of course, we know by the writings of, of uh, Paul what that fruit is. And, and Peter alludes to it as well. The fruit of a, a, a life that's been regenerated, changed, renewed, birthed anew. They don't manufacture it, my friends. You can't manufacture the Christian life. You can't try to be loving. You either are or are not. You can't try to engender peace. It is either given to you through your faith in the Lord Jesus and your trust in the sovereign providential care of God, knowing that whatever trial comes into your life, it has passed through the filter of his love. It's not by chance you're experiencing this trial, but God has allowed it to grow you, to deepen you. This is God's design. This is God's will to abide in the Lord Jesus Christ. The whole of John 15 is devoted to this teaching. And a life producing fruit is simply a stem through which the Holy Spirit is free to push Christ through you to a world that is blind and in darkness. And they see the light of his presence, unobstructed life flowing through you. And Luke says, they bear fruit a hundredfold. My friends, when Christ is made manifest in your life and mine, <laughs> he is there. He is present. People see that you are, in fact, his disciple. Hundredfold production of fruit. They are seeing the life of Jesus Christ. They are seeing Christ in your face in your voice, with your hands and your feet. Mark, however, has the believer simply producing some 30, some 60, and some 100-fold. And he uses, the, it's, it's a Greek term called phero, which is the thought of conveying or carrying a burden. Fruit-bearing is a responsibility. Like a ship that carries passengers to a destination, it's a load they're carrying. Gladly, but they're carrying that load. Well, Mark seems to be focusing on just that, like the dutiful Christian, the servant-minded Christian. Their burden is to bless others with their fruitage. This process involves some rigor and responsibility. You know, at the end of the day, when you examine your life, are others benefiting from your life? Does your family benefit from your life? Do the other believers that you fellowship with benefit from your life? What about your, your colleagues at work? Do they benefit from your life? Do they see the character of our Lord Jesus? Some might be pagan. Do they see it? You should know if they see it. I should know that. But unfortunately, sometimes believers are so touchy, sensitive, prickly to live with and be with. And that should not be so, my friends. I'm sorry, it shouldn't be so at all. And if we are that way, then we have to ask God to change us. Especially during that time that we are in his presence. So we had the happy Christian, the happy, fruitful Christian. And we have the servant-minded Christian and of course, the last one is, is what Matthew uh, addresses in, in, in chapter 13, that this believer produced fruit 
with a view to give the Holy Spirit's work in their life again for the benefit of the receiver and their good, which is the same thought that Mark conveyed. But Matthew also expresses the thought that Luke expresses, and that is the objective is to bear fruit. But Matthew omits the language that deals with cheerful steadfastness. The Spirit of God is using Matthew to highlight that we are not dealing with a cheerful Christian. We're dealing with a mature Christian. It's about being uh, having before one's view the blessing of others. Openness to the Spirit of God to work, to produce fruit for the benefit of the receiver. And like uh, Luke, the objective is to do just that, to bear fruit. Omitting the whole cheerfulness aspect of it, this believer is serious about one thing. I want to grow I want to bless others. I want my life to count for the glory of God. And, and of course, Matthew also uh, brings out different levels of fruitfulness. Some 100, some 60, some 30. So the whole point of the matter is, my friends, simply this. Good ground. Good ground. A heart that is ready to receive the word of God becomes tillable. It's perfectly suited for the word of God at the point of the new birth and for the full duration of the Christian life. And as we are walking with God beside still waters, I want you to keep in mind this one thought. The Christian life is not necessarily attractive at its beginning. A lot of people in our day try to make it uh, a quest for health, wealth, and so forth and so on. They try to make it attractive, but it really isn't. The only time that the Christian life takes on a uniqueness, uh, a sweetness, is when the Spirit of God begins to have greater control of the believer and begins to manifest the character of our Lord Jesus Christ. True, heavenly uh, uh Character regeneration, fruit is now being manifested to a world. They are beginning to see behaviors and language and conduct that is extraordinary. And this is where the beauty and effectiveness of the Christian life comes in. Not always at the early stages, but at the point of maturity. When that plant begins to grow upwards and outwards, pushes out buds, and then fruit, the clusters begin to show themselves and those clusters become full of the life and of the sap of that tree. And others now can pluck that fruit and taste of its sweetness and goodness. And God's objective is to use you and me in a world that's gone mad. But to bless them with the heavenly fruit, the very life and character of the Lord Jesus Christ filling you and me. Oh, my friend, as we quiet our hearts yet again beside still waters, let us cry out to God to fill us with his spirit, not for evidencing anything but one thing, the character, the beauty, 
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.